Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Remembering last night, we look at Philippians 2, how the ways that Jesus loved us, he took this thing called love, made it more than a feeling, but something that he did, he put it into action. In these same ways, we should imitate and put on Christ's love in the ways that we interact with each other. And out of that should flow these amazing relationships that come when we put on love, when we walk in love as Christ has first loved us and gave himself up for us. So that's the key tonight. For tonight's message, tomorrow night's message, and really the other things that we're going to talk about later in the week here, putting on this idea of love. And we're going to be here later in Ephesians 5. Tonight, uh, what we're doing is we're talking to the guys tonight, okay? Tonight is men's night. All right, tomorrow night will be ladies' night. We're going to talk about ladies. We're going to look at God's word and how we operate in our relationships, uh, particularly marriage and family relationships, but also this has context for church relationships, for how you can interact and impact in your community, how God has wired us differently as men and women. I'm calling this tonight for the men courageous leaders from Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. So that's where we'll be primarily in our text tonight. Now, this idea of manhood uh, conjures up a lot of images for us, right? I was uh, raised around the 80s and 90s, so there were a couple of people uh, in culture, examples that I saw in culture that helped me see uh, what a man was supposed to look like, okay? I'm going to throw a couple pictures up on the screen, so let me know if you know who these people are. Who's this guy? Rambo, thank you, all right? You kind of mumbled it, but I heard it from someone in the back, thank you. All right, John Rambo, right? Great action movie hero. I love me some action movies, love the Rambo movies. A great example of manhood on one sense, maybe, but when it comes to our marriage and family relationships, maybe not a great example. Here's uh, what I found uh, on Wikipedia and what the definition for what Rambo means. The term Rambo is used commonly to describe a person who is reckless, disregards orders, uses violence to solve problems, enters dangerous situations alone, and is exceptionally tough and aggressive. Okay? If you've seen those movies, pretty good description of John Rambo, right? Okay, great example of somebody that you would maybe want to lead you into battle, uh, but not a great example of how we should have our, our manhood look in our home relationships. Okay, if you put on John Rambo's posture and attitude in your marriage or your family, things are going to be uh, very clear on how things are going, but very destructive pretty quickly, okay? Why does culture point to John Rambo? Because in each one of us, men, I believe there's a little bit of John Rambo in all of us. In my life, when I've walked this journey, I've found myself in places acting a little bit like John Rambo, not in going uh, to overseas countries as a mercenary, but in the ways that I'm aggressive, I'm dangerous, I'm reckless, I'm destructive. There's parts of me that have done that in our marriage and family relationships. So there's one, one example, maybe not a great one. Here's another one that culture tells me. I'm a little like John Rambo, but also a little bit maybe like this guy sometimes. Who's this? Homer Simpson, right? Okay, again, here's what Wikipedia, how they define Homer Simpson. Uh, Homer Simpson is a crude, bald, obese, short-tempered, rule-neglecting, clumsy, lazy, heavy-drinking, ignorant, and idiotic person, okay? If you've seen any moments, any clip of The Simpsons show at all, you could say that's a pretty good description of Homer Simpson, right? Again, I think this gives us a picture of culturally because inside all of us, Inside me and points in my married life, my family life, and being a man, I found myself being a little bit like Homer Simpson. A little lazy, a lot of idiotic, okay? A little bit um, ignorant and crude, okay? There's things about me that has exemplified this. And we know, if you just look at society at large, we've seen examples culturally right now where there's a lot of people out there operating, men out there operating like John Rambo and like Homer Simpson. 
Okay, if you follow anything that's happened culturally in the news, even in church culture, the ways men have used their power and influence to be destructive and damaging to others, particularly to women, it's rampant on the news these days. There's a lot of guys that have operated like John Rambo. There's also ways that I've operated and seen guys operating a lot like Homer Simpson, okay? There's a whole movement in Japan, but I think it's happening in America too, where they're concerned about men in the 18 to 30 range because all they're doing is staying at home, uh, fascinated and tied up into video games and things on the internet, and they're not even going out and finding jobs. They're just doing things that are incredibly selfish and self-serving. Japan's actually facing a cultural crisis for the next generation because there's not enough men stepping up into jobs and responsibilities and home lives that are moving things forward. So I think these things are happening culturally as well. So it's important to have a different picture, right? Not just what culture is telling us, but what does God's word say, and how can we have a different perspective on what manhood could look like? I'm so thankful that I've got God's word to direct me to that, but I've had lots of men in my life that I can look to and say, no matter how much they want to be uh, like this or are like this, they've found Christ able to help them, and they put on these ways of Christ to find that. So we're going to begin diving into Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Uh, follow along with me as we read this together. Again, it's going to give us a picture for how we're going to look at being a courageous leader in our households as men. Ephesians 5, 22 to 33 says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. What do we see here? Um, the calling that we see is this, that our leadership, uh, our calling as men is actually to begin to be leaders. This idea of headship implies uh, this idea of leadership, um, God designed men to be distinctly different, men and women to be distinctly different, but have um, complementary roles towards one another that help support and function in beautiful ways together. We are very different. Men and women are created very differently. And in our marriage relationships, this calling of headship is what we are, as men, charged to be. Now, again, today, culturally, this term headship doesn't always have positive connotations, right? Here's what sometimes comes to mind when we think about headship. Authoritarian, boss, ruler owner, president, okay? Those sometimes evoke very strong emotions for us because they're not always operated in the best kind of terms. These are not terms that exemplify the way that Christ led us and the example that he's given us in these ways. When Paul wrote this term, headship, here's what he would have meant. Protector, provider, lover, and responsible for. That's the kind of leadership and headship that this passage is talking about. We're going to unpack that here for a minute. I told you that I was an accountant for a while, but I also worked in HR and life action for a while. So I looked at a lot of things related to organizational leadership and management. And I think there's some truths in this picture of how sometimes we get it wrong as men in our leadership responsibilities. Sometimes we operate like a boss does, and we are sitting in the back and telling our family or our wives or the people that we are supposed to be leading, this is the way to go, go and get it done. Sit here and make this happen for me. The best leaders are the ones sitting at the front of the pack saying, this is the direction we're going together. I'm going to show you the way to go. I'm going to model this for you. I'm willing to take this on head on first and foremost. I'm not going to sit back and take it easy. I'm going to wait for God uh, to direct us, and I'm going to show you the way to go in that. This picture sometimes is how we operate in this calling to be leaders in our household. Leadership means that we're to seek our wife and our family's best, even at our own expense. So how do we do this? How does this look to lead uh, scripturally? We're going to unpack that here more in Ephesians 5, verses 23 through 28. So follow along with me here. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its savior. 
Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So what does this look like? I think the first way that we're called to put this on and demonstrate this is by pastoring, by giving the direction and pace. Some of you may be thinking, Brent, that's really intimidating to me. I don't have a theology degree. Um, I'm not sure what it would look like to pastor my family. Good news for you, lots of guys don't. Paul didn't probably have an official theology degree um, in these ways, but we can still begin to pastor our wives and our families in these ways. We see this call and this charge here when it says, sanctify her, washing with the word, holy and without blemish. If you're intimidated yet, it should be this is a high calling, but we don't need to be because we have God's and Christ's example to us. All it really takes to pastor well, to provide this direction and this pace, to shepherd and lead our families well, is to begin moving towards God. As you begin to walk towards God in obedience, they can follow your leadership. No matter how spiritually mature your spouse is, your wife is, or your kids are, you may feel behind them spiritually, But as you begin to walk towards God and pursue God, they can follow that leadership and that direction that you're setting for them. There's been lots of times in our married life where I felt like Maggie was spiritually ahead of me. But as I continued and began to walk towards God in new ways of obedience, she could follow alongside that leadership. There's sometimes my kids ask me theological questions that astound me, and I'm surprised they're even thinking of them. But as I begin and continue to walk towards God in obedience, I can begin to leave that. This idea of pastoring, again, comes in two fronts, leading by direction and pace. This direction is this idea of giving principles, okay? Principles are giving instruction and direction. Now, we know as guys how to give directions, right? Constantly in my households, I'm pretty good at giving instructions. Here's some things that I've said probably in the last 24 hours. Do this. Don't do that. Come here. Eat your food. Brush your teeth. Get dressed. Make your bed. Don't pout. Stop sitting on your brother's head, okay? All of these things are things that we actually are good at giving instructions for. The same idea of setting the direction is simply this idea of giving right direction, right instructions for how the way that you're going. In a truck, I'm often telling my kids three things. Be calm, be quiet, be kind, okay? I need them to do all those things. I've learned how to be good at giving instructions. Often in our workplaces, we're good at giving instructions. We've just got to continue to be able to do that in our married lives and our families. Giving direction, this is where we're going. This is what it's to look like. Joshua does this in his, uh, the great book of Joshua, it says this, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Begin walking those directions, setting that pace, setting practices and values that you want to have as your family. The question to ask yourself is right now, if I looked at your schedule and your checkbook, what would that say about the direction of your family? Guys, if I were just to break down for a few minutes how you spend the next uh, 168 hours this week, the next two weeks or your month's calendar, what would it say about the direction that you're setting for your family? Are you setting a direction that's moving towards God or not? When we looked at the way you're spending your finances, would it say that you're moving towards God, that you're leading your family towards God or to something else? The reason that we sometimes don't want to lead directionally is because we're all afraid of getting lost, okay? I know, guys, I'm very terrified of getting lost myself. What's even more terrifying is when I know that I'm getting other people lost with me. So sometimes I hesitate and I pause and I'm, un, um, I'm reluctant to lead because I'm afraid that I might take them down the wrong path. That excuse is not one to just stop trying to lead. Continue to just point yourself to Christ, be in his word, be being refreshed, be finding Christ throughout your daily life, and you'll be able to lead the right kind of directions 
with this. Second one of this is uh, pace. Uh, how to spend spiritual pace. Uh, you wouldn't think to look at me uh, now, but back in high school, I ran cross country and track. Thank you. You should have chuckled. <laughs> if you saw me run today, you would be laughing uh, much more like you are now, not just one person chuckling, okay? So um, I used to be a lot thinner and a lot uh, more athletic than I am now. Uh, something happened when I started having kids and I became less athletic and, and I ran a lot less. Um, I should probably get back into the habit, but I'm not there yet. So uh, there's this uh, time in my uh, cross-country years, I was never a very um, competitive runner. I'm competitive in lots of things in life that just never translated to my cross-country and track experience. But there was this one race, uh, my freshman year, I was uh, loving hanging out with the team guys and the team, a couple of seniors that were just good friends of mine. So me and a senior decided that we were this last race of the year, big conference meet, going to charge to the front of the pack at the very beginning. Okay, going to set out and go out with a blaze of glory, hopefully throw off their top runners, let our guys come up and pass them. So for about the first uh, 800 yards, we were uh, well ahead of, of the pack. It felt awesome, okay? Never really experienced that uh, very many times in my running career, to be at the front of the pack. The problem with that is a cross-country race is not like a half mile, it's about three miles. So about uh, 200 yards later than that, I was not only not at the front of the pack, I was somewhere much, much further back, Okay. So um, I began to fade through that. I think sometimes we're afraid of setting a pace, um, or we set a pace that's really unachievable for the long haul. We get really excited. If you're like me, you get really passionate and excited about something what God's teaching you. He's doing a great work in your life. And I begin to set this pace that I can't sustain spiritually and that my wife or my kids can't follow behind me. It's just setting a pace that's not achievable. Again, the key to this is just having a hot heart for God but knowing how to pace along so that it's consistent for your lifetime, so that it can be the pace that your kids, your wife can follow along beside you and be able to keep that pace together. It's, again, be passionate, be excited, but set a pace that's uh, one that's pursuing after God uh, wholeheartedly, but again, begin to just be taking baby steps. Again, this idea, if you just keep walking and moving towards God, they can follow alongside and come alongside you, no matter how hot their hearts are right now, no matter what direction they're going, no matter how far ahead of you may be, begin to take those baby steps towards God and obedience. I think you'll be surprised how they do that. Just begin to pray with your wife and your family. Begin to have conversations around spiritual things, around your dinner tables. I love that this week that you've got kids that are getting take-home exercises. Spend a couple of minutes every night or during the day or when you're driving into church or when you're driving home to just unpack those exercises. Great practical tools to help you this week. And then to begin to pray even simple prayers for your wife, for your kids during this week. I think that's a great way to do that. Uh, second responsibility here is, uh, I believe, is to be provider, okay? In our leadership, we're not only called to pastor, to give the direction and pace, but to provide. That's physical and emotional provision. What does this look like in verse 28? In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it. Just as Christ says the church. Guys, this expresses the responsibility of providing for her needs so as to help them grow and mature in Christ. The needs that they have physically required to help them grow and mature in Christ, but the needs they have emotionally and spiritually. Again, sometimes we take on this idea of leadership. We go, as long as there's food on the table, a roof over their heads, that's enough. As long as I'm faithfully providing a paycheck to be able to support my family's needs, that's enough. There's so much more to this calling of leadership that's caring for uh, their spirits, their emotions, caring in these ways. 
Again, there's a big charge. We see it in 1 Timothy 5.8. If he does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I believe wholeheartedly that we need to be in places of making sure that our family's physical needs are provided for. But are you doing the same kind of steps to make sure their emotional, their spiritual needs are also provided for? Guys, this is our responsibility. Now, what I'm not saying is that you can't have a wife that works outside the home to help provide. That's, that's true. It doesn't mean your wife doesn't come alongside you and help provide emotional and spiritual support. We'll cover some of that more tomorrow. But what that does mean is that we've got a big charge, a big responsibility, that with God's help, we can begin to provide this physical and emotional needs, spiritual needs that our family has. Uh, we met Justin in St. Louis, Michigan uh, last spring. Here's a testimony he said, I'm a husband and father of three. My focus has been on providing financially for my family. Over the past few months, I have realized that I am failing them spiritually. Growing with you and your team has shown me so much needed strategies that I can use to better myself with God and my family. I've only been able to come so far by myself. I know I need God and support from others to become the type of husband and father that I want to be. Thank you for all you do. Justin from St. Louis, Michigan. What he's saying is this. I've felt and known scripturally my responsibility to provide for my family but I have not fully realized and not fully stepped up and accepted the calling to provide emotionally and spiritually. Guys begin to take on that second calling that we have to lead in these ways. How does this look? What does this uh, pastoring and provider look like? It always comes sacrificially. Always looking at what's needed for them, what's in their best interest, not my own. Again, unpacking some of those truths we talked about last night. Sacrificing what we want and often what we need for the betterment of those that we're charged to lead in these ways. And these truths don't just apply to our marriages, to our families, but applies to our church family. If you're a single guy in the room, or maybe a widower in the room, these truths can be applied to the ways that you lead your family. If you're an elder or deacon in this church, a Sunday school teacher, or anybody really called to minister and lead in this church in any capacity, this sacrificial love, putting on these things, will help you provide the leadership for your church family as well. Again, I don't think this calling that we see here in the script, in this text, is just to lead, but it's to lead like this. It's to lead in love. Okay, we can't miss the second part of that. Sometimes we just go, my calling as a husband, as a father, is to lead my family. This passage unpacks this in twofold, in this deeper way here that we see in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. If you just take on this calling of leadership and you say, you've got to follow my direction, you've got to uh, submit to all of my decisions, and you're not doing that in the spirit of love and Christ-likeness, you're missing the point. Putting on Christ, letting him fill us, and following his example to us is the way that we do this most sufficiently. How do we begin to do that? Again, I think we elevate uh, by putting others first. We unpacked that some last night, but verse 25 says, gave himself up for her. Again, laying down your life for your wife, for your kids, for those you're tasked to lead. Their interest at our expense gave himself up. It's like saying this, he handed himself over to them. Have you, in your calling to lead in love, said, I'm going to give up myself for you. I'm gonna sacrifice for you. I'm gonna lay down my life, my wants, my desires for you. What do they need? What can I give is the things, the mindset to have on that. And again, to what end do you have to take that? All the way to death, as we see in Jesus' example that we talked about last night. Second way we do that, I believe, is to cherish. We begin to embrace their individuality. Verse 28 says this, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. This expresses, again, this idea that we're made very differently. Okay, Maggie and I unpacked how different we are last night. I've got four kids that are all very different. Do you embrace the individuality of your wife, of your kids, of your grandkids, no matter what stage of life that you're in? Are you willing to embrace the individual ways that God made each one of them? 
take an interest in and appreciate what makes your wives and kids what they enjoy, what makes them tick, even, again, if it's the opposite of what you enjoy. Certainly find and carve out ways to invite them into the things that you enjoy and begin investing in their lives in those ways, but find things specifically that makes them enjoy life, that fills their spiritual tank, and begin to embrace those things with them. And again, what you may find is you just might enjoy it as well as they do. Finally, third way I think you do that, again, is pursuing by time and attention. This idea means you nourish and cherishes it. That takes time and attention. We all know that relationships require intense amounts of time. And it's not just uh, in the room in the same space time. It's concentrated focus time. What I'm discovering in my relationships of leading my wife and my kids is that this is the worst enemy to my time with them. I can be in the same room, same space with them, but I'm on this or on some other technology device where I'm completely zoned out. That's not the kind of time it takes to nourish and cherish these relationships. Are you willing to carve out the time and attention that it takes to do that? Something that I'm continuing to work on as I think about that. And it's not just being in the same space, it's paying attention to what they need in those moments. You may be saying, Brent, I'm not sure that I uh, know really well how to elevate or cherish or pursue. I'm not sure that I know how to nurture um, in these kind of ways. I'm not a very nurturing person. Again, nurturing pictures of a few pictures, okay? So a lot of us think of this idea of gardening, taking and creating the right soil, the right environment to make these plants grow. Maybe if you're a gardener, if you're a farmer of some sort, you can relate and connect to this idea, that this idea of nurturing and helping them have the things that they need to grow spiritually, emotionally, physically is provided for them. Maybe you're not in that category. Maybe you go, I'm terrible at gardening and growing. I think maybe if you're a golfer, okay, if you have any active and any interest in golfing, you know what it takes to nurture and elevate your golf game, okay? It takes a lot of time and patience and practice, okay? You've got to be putting those things in a place to make your golf game grow the same kind of ways, same kind of attention be given towards your wife and to your kids. Again, maybe that's not where you're bent. Maybe you're a, a, a crafted kind of person. You like to work with your hands and build stuff. If you know how to work with your hands, metalwork, woodwork, any of those kind of things, that wood takes a lot of time to take it where it is to where it's going to be. It takes a lot of creativity and energy to be able to move that piece of wood from just a block or a piece of tree into a beautiful piece of art. But it's the time and attention and attention to the specific needs of that piece of wood to make that happen the same way as your wife and your kids need that. Again, maybe you're just a mechanic and you're not sure, but you know how to take care of your cars, right? Or your truck. You know how to make that thing looking good, sounding good, running good, the same kind of ways. Pay attention to the needs of your wife, your kids, to make sure that you're finding that. So again, this idea of leading in love, elevating, cherishing, and pursuing, and how do we do that? It's always unconditional. Okay, the fact that Jesus never set conditions for his love towards us, we must in the same way say, despite how I'm feeling in these moments, the conditions that I want to place in this relationship, I've got to come into this unconditionally in these ways. Now, Maggie, uh, you had something uh, that you wanted to share at the beginning of the night that I forgot about, and then you've got some words for women tonight as well. Okay, so I was paying really good attention last night. What about um, tonight? Were you paying good attention yes, tonight? Yes, I okay, was. Okay, great, good. I was reading and stuff. And, um, but anyways, last night you were talking about how we should be interested in the things that others are interested in. That's like a way to show love. And so I was thinking about what you're interested in, and I know you really love sports. I love sports. You're right. And you know that I don't normally, I don't carry hella beans about sports. You do not normally carry hella beans about sports. But I decided from now on, I'm taking up sportsing. So I'm getting say that Say that one more time. I'm really going to get into sportsing. And what I'm doing. Sportsing. Did, okay. What we'll, I did, we'll work though, on the vocabulary first, I think. Yeah. I decided I'm going to, and I picked a team today. I went on the internet 
uh, machine, and I looked around at the best outfits, and I found that's, one. That's the best way to choose, yeah, your sportsing teams. Yep, I love blue, and so I no, found. No, please don't. No, red yeah, and white. I found, oh, I no. found a, a hat. I, I really like this hat. And so I think they're like the Cougar Pumas or like yeah. the Mountain Lions yeah. or something like that. Yeah. But anyways, I hope they get a lot of baskets. Yeah. You know why? No. I, hope, I hope they make a lot of baskets because I am really into baskets because I love organizing. That's true. So, yeah. Anyways, true. I'm going to start sending you some emojis, sportsing emojis. I found a whole ton of sportsing emojis on That's my phone. That's great. Yeah. Wait so, till after the service tonight. You can send me all the emojis you want. Do you know they beat my Hoosiers on this weekend? These people? Yeah. Should I? I'm cheering for them. I'm voting for them now, so I'm sorry. But yeah, you should I'm be sorry. For this team. You should all be sorry. I had great plans to come in here on Sunday and make a big stink about it, but it ruined it, all right? So here's a few things uh, for the women in the room tonight. Megan, I know you're going to share a few thoughts here in a minute, but um, how do you come alongside your husband or the men in your life in these ways? I think you begin to just support the ways that they're demonstrating leadership already. They're God-giving calling and uh, ways that they're leading it. Cheer the heck out of it. Encourage the ways that you see them taking those baby steps towards Christ. Every time you see them taking those steps, cheer and celebrate that. Just want you to know that as a guy, I'm very aware of my faults. Very aware of the ways that I'm falling short. I don't typically need reminded from Maggie or my kids where I'm falling short. Sometimes I need a wake-up call, but often I just need to be reminded and encouraged when I'm taking those right steps for that. And maybe you're sitting there going, I'm trying all of these things and I don't know what else to do. You can always pray. You're not the Holy Spirit to your husband. Allow God to soften and work in their heart. Continually intercede and ask God to do a great work in their life. And I think you'll be amazed what we see God do. We've got friends that we've walked in this journey with that simply began to pray and ask God, began to demonstrate these things, and it made a miraculous change in the life of their husband and their family when they did that. Maggie, what would you like to share for the ladies tonight? Well, I may not genuinely be into sportsing, but I am genuinely into nature. And so I have an example for us. Um, I was asking God a while back, because I honestly, I kind of forget the point of things. And one time when I was really mad at Brent, I was like, now, I don't remember the point, again, of marriage. Like I'm con- <laughs> and I have to go out and talk to God, and we have to get back to what the point is. And, um, and so when, on one of these days, I walked out, and I found a little chrysalis or cocoon. I'm not sure which it is, but it's a little caterpillar guy, and he, he's becoming something. And so he made himself a little home, and he's, he's in that little spot. And when I, when I got in close, leaned in close just to observe that little piece of art that God made, I felt like God was whispering into me, Maggie, that's the point of marriage is um, all of us are becoming who God wants us to be, but we're not there yet. You know, we start out a little bit caterpillarish in the world, and really we need someone to stick with us. We need someone who knows us and will still love us, who we can fail with, and they're going to they're gonna love us unconditionally so that we, we can help them get back up and we can help them become. And so um, when I forget the point, God reminds me that we are like for each other. Um, when, when our husband are, feels so far from where we think they should be, um, we're just a safe place for them to, to grow and to become who God intends them to be. So that's my, my nature example. That's great. Thank you, Max. So again, uh, tomorrow night, ladies, will be speaking more specifically how you can come alongside in these ways. Guys will give you a challenge for that as well, so you want to come back for second part of these messages. But I'm going to give you a life in action challenge tonight as we conclude this message this evening. 
Before you go to bed tonight, why do I say tonight? Because if you're like me, you forget things really easily, okay? Tomorrow will roll around, you have to get up early for work, the day will get ahead of itself, and you forget all of these truths, okay? I'm not saying if you don't have time tonight that you can't pick it up later, but please, before you go to bed tonight, consider one of these two things, okay? I'll have an undergraduate and a graduate level thing, okay? Some of you are already doing this first one, continue doing that. Some of you can begin to take this uh, first initiative here that we do that. So here's uh, two examples of things you can do before you go to bed tonight. First one is this, pray with your wife. Okay, for some of you, that maybe is a regular pattern activity. Thank you so much. There's nothing better you can be doing to lead your wife spiritually than doing that. The affirmation encouragement that comes when we regularly pray with our wives and for our wives is an amazing thing for them. We get so many testimonies week in and week out of how that ministered to wives as that begins to happen. I can sort of encourage you right now to consider praying with your wife before you go to bed at night. Maybe in these next few moments during the worship set, you want to carve out some time to do that. Maybe you just need to get to the prayer room here, pull her aside to be able to do that in these next few moments. Uh, we uh, were in Baytown, Texas, a very uh, blue-collar community like this. Last spring, I got this testimony from Daryl, who began to take on this challenge. I had stopped praying with my wife some time ago, one of the biggest mistakes I've made. I can personally attest this, too. The biggest mistakes I've made is when I stopped praying for Megan, for my kids. But God grabbed me by the seat of my pants. Sometimes we need that, guys, right? Gave me a swift kick and told me to pray for and over her. It is my duty as a godly husband. I started doing so on Monday, and I've seen a glow about her. My 10-year-old Abigail prayed with me for the first time, and it broke me. Starting today, Diane and I are starting a couple's devotion together, and I will begin praying with Abigail every night at bedtime. What this guy did is began to take on these challenges, these truths, and just began to take very small baby steps. It just started with opening a conversation in prayer. With his wife, with his kids, and amazing things began to unfold after that. I'm telling you, you'll be shocked the ways that you take that simple step of obedience the ways that you'll say yes to God and just begin to pray with your wife and with your kids that will begin to open up new conversations that you never thought possible. Small step, but I believe it a powerful one. Second one is this. Maybe you're already doing that regularly. I think the next thing you can do is begin to ask your wife this. What can I do to help you feel more loved and cherished? Maybe you want to do that not just for your wife, but for your kids or your grandkids as well. What is something that I can begin to do to help you feel more loved and more cherished. Again, we get a lot of testimonies from men and from women who take these truths to heart, and it makes a profound impact in their marriage relationships. Now, again, don't just ask that question, okay? Asking these kind of questions and then not following up is a pretty bad idea, okay? Begin to ask the question, what can I do to help you feel more loved and cherished? Then begin to put these truths into 